Thank you so much for that. You know, there's an old saying I heard from an old preacher a long time ago, says to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory, but to live with the, below with those we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> so what Brother Lucan didn't tell you is that what he decided to do this time was give all of the time to the first guy and just, I have to yield the balance of it back. So I have three and a half hours right now and I'm planning to use all of it. That's a joke. We believe in jokes here, amen. Amen. But no, in, in all seriousness, I'm very glad to be here and standing before you. It's kind of unreal. You know, I've sat in a lot of seats in this place. I've sat at all three pianos. I've sat all over the auditorium. But today I get to sit in the most special seat in the entire auditorium. It's the one where the man of God sits, who's going to give the message from God. And that's a very humbling thought. And I couldn't get here without a lot of people in my life helping me out. One I'd particularly like to thank, since he's here this morning, is Pastor Griffith. Um, he could do a much better job than I can at a lot of things, surprisingly. Not a surprise. It's a joke. We believe in those. But no, he can do a much better job at basically everything than I can, but he still gives me lots of opportunities in our home church to, uh, to just be able to minister and uh, do the work of the ministry now to prepare for later. So I really appreciate that. I'd like to publicly recognize you for that. But guys, today I have something very interesting and a bit unusual It was just another day, or so he thought. As he commonly did, as was his custom, he rose up early in the morning, had some time with God, fellowshiped with him, uh, prayed for his family, prayed for his friends, for his employees, and continued on about his day, just like most other days. But as he was out around managing what he was dealing with, about midday there came a messenger to him. And he bore some news that wasn't very good. But before he could get done, there was a second one. And then a third one. And then a fourth one. And what they had to say was this. You've lost everything you've spent your whole life trying to build. All your fortune is gone. All of your possessions are gone. Your ten kids all died in a tragic accident. Let's fast forward a few hundred years. We've got a man, an old man, sitting at his desk, writing out this book. He's a bit unsure of how to start, and as he's contemplating all that has happened in his life, all that he's built, all that he's done, all that he's researched through, he thinks back on it, and really wonders if it did anything. And he pens this line, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Let me fast forward a couple of hundred more years. You know, Job, that's not where I am today, nor am I in Ecclesiastes. I want to take you to a prophet who stands on a watchtower, who looks down into the streets and sees them filled with blood. Immorality is rampant, lying in Stealing commonplace. Everyone's coveting his neighbor's wife, his neighbor's things. 
And he looks up into the face of heaven and just wants to know what God could possibly be doing. And there's a question I have for you this morning. It's my sermon title, and it's what I'm going to seek to answer for the time given to me. It's two words. It's two of the most difficult words in the entire English language. God. Why? God, why? God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. Turn, if you would, to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk remembers a time that Israel was doing good. Grew up under Josiah, a very godly king. But now Josiah's passed off the scene and you have evil King Jehoiakim reigning. It is the same Jehoiakim that took the words of Jeremiah the prophet and burned them in a fiery furnace. Has no respect for God, no respect for God's law. And the people are imitating exactly what they see. And this prompts Habakkuk to ask God a couple questions. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 says the burden, the weighty message, which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. I can reduce everything that Habakkuk says to two words. God, why? Why are you letting this happen? You gave us the law. You showed us what it said. And your people are breaking it on every hand. Why are you letting this happen? But friends, part of the reason why I chose this passage is because God gives answers. Friends, you've been in Bible college for a while. You've got all sorts of books on everything possible, I guess. And teachers make you read for class, make you read for class, make you read this, make you read that. And some of you are just sick of it. Friends, let me tell you, I have all the answers I need right here. Everything we need is in this book. If you know God's word, you will have answers. Three answers this morning as to your why from the mouth of God. Number one, I am working. I am working Habakkuk 1, verse 6 says, Lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And it goes through the rest of God's speech in Habakkuk, starting with verse 5, and goes down through verse 11. Describing the atrocities that are going to be (laughs) committed against the people of Israel. And it's really horrible. But friends, I'm here to tell you that God has a plan. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. 
But also something important is God's plan is not always our plan. Habakkuk 3.2, if you turn over there for just a second, we see what Habakkuk's plan was. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, get this, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. He wanted there to be a national reformation. He wanted his people to turn back to the God they claimed to serve. God said, that's not my plan this time. It's been my plan in the past, but not this time. Guys, just because God's worked in your life a particular way in the past doesn't mean he's going to work that way this time. God can work however he wants. And it's tough for us to accept. But God has a plan. God's not surprised by changes to our plans either. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. There's this tension between Habakkuk's plan and God's plan. I'm reminded of this story from many, many years ago, and, well... I've heard different versions of this story, so I'll just give you my version. Uh, so this woman had a son that was about 18 that was just dying on his deathbed due to some horrible disease that he had. And so the preacher, she called him over to pray over him. And the preacher said, Lord, if it's your will, please heal him. And the mother, and of course, in great grief, said very very strongly kind of rebuked the preacher, said, don't, don't ask if it's God's will. I don't care about God's will. Just let him live. About four or five years later, he was dead. But he wasn't dead from the disease. The Lord had healed him. The Lord did what she asked for. Be careful what you ask for. If you're not asking for the will of God, you might get it. He was sent to the electric chair. What mother, knowing that, would have preferred that? Having her son commit these horrible crimes and then go to the electric chair, capital punishment. Nobody would have done that. It's because what she thought was good right now wasn't actually good. Guys, be careful of accusing God of not being good. What looks like it's not good now may turn out to be the best good later. First of all, God says, I am working. Second of all, God says, I am trustworthy. Habakkuk chapter 2 has one of the best verses in the entire Bible on which almost everything else can be placed. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul, that is to say the Chaldean soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 
David reduces them in one of the Psalms down to about 11. Micah reduces them down to three. But Habakkuk reduces the entirety of the law and the prophets to one two-word statement from God. Trust me. Trust me. And in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of asking why, it's not easy to trust God all the time. I can tell you, I've been there. It's not easy to trust God when it seems like your circumstances contradict your theology. But friends, at some point, you're going to take those books on theology, and God's going to sweep aside the books on theology and hand you a test. And I don't mean a test in a classroom. I don't mean a test for Brother Lucan. I mean a real-life test. Are you going to trust me? God's word is more important than your why. God's word is more important than your why. Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says, And the Lord answered me and says, Write the vision. and Make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. God says, I understand you have questions, but write this down. I'm going to use this later. And you know, friends, that's typically what happens when we're in the midst of trials. We may not understand what's going on, but God's given us something written down that we can use right there. And he's giving us experience that we can use for later. This is a very important line that I heard from Ravi Zacharias a long time ago, but I think it's very important. God answers questioners, not questions. God is not in the business of always giving you an answer, but he is in the business of changing your heart. He's in the business of changing your life. You may not get an answer, but you remember, you see in verse 2 it says, and the Lord answered. Is that in small caps in anybody else's Bible? Exodus 3.14. Moses comes to Moses at the burning bush and is giving objections. And says, what am I going to say? What do I tell the people that your name is? And God says, I am that I am. Get this, folks. Whatever question you are asking, God not only has the answer, he is the answer. I am. What do you need? God is. What are you struggling with? God can help you. What are the problems in your life that you think are going to absolutely break you? God's still there. I'm also reminded that God's character does not change. Malachi 3.6, most of you know it. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I'm reminded of this story of George Mueller, great prayer warrior, had many orphanages in Bristol, England. And he was on this ship trying to get to Quebec on the SS Sardinian. 
and there was a nasty fog bank that they'd run into, and the captain was slowing down the ship because, you know, he couldn't see where he was going. And he went to the captain and said, we need to pick up the pace because I'm going to be late. And he's like, well, I can't because of the fog bank. So he asked to go down into the chart room where nobody else was, just him and the captain. And George Mueller prayed a very short, simple prayer, asking God to lift the fog. When the captain was about to join in, George Mueller stopped him, said, it won't do you any good. You don't believe me and I don't need you. <laughs> it's basically the idea of what he said. But before going back up, he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there is not one instance that I have failed to have an audience with the king. Rise up, Captain, and you will find the fog has lifted. The captain went back on deck. Instead of pea soup fog, it was clear blue sky. He was able to get there on time. Friends, God does not fail you. People may fail you. Parents may fail you. Authorities may fail you. People you highly look up to and respect may fail you. But God will not fail you. I am working, declares God. I am trustworthy, declares God. I am enthroned. It's the last point that God declares. Habakkuk 2, if you look down to verse 18, it says, What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe to him that saith to the wood, Awake. To the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth keep silence before him. Friends, in the midst of your trial, we can get so fixated on the trial that we forget we have a God in heaven who's on his throne. God is immovable. Psalm 2, verse 1 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. God's not getting moved off his throne. No election can get God off his throne. God's not abdicating. God's not getting voted out of office. He was on his throne yesterday, he's on his throne today, and he'll be on his throne tomorrow. You remember the famous vision of Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees God, high and lifted up, seated on his throne. Revelation, 2,000 years later, John sees God seated on his throne. Let me tell you guys. When you were tempted to give up, when you were tempted to quit, when you think the pain is unbearable, there's a God who's still on his throne and he knows what you're going through. Number two, God is in authority. Psalm 93, 97, and 99 all open with the same line. 
It's only three words. It's three very powerful words. The Lord reigneth. God is the authority. And if you, can, if you can get this, this can revolutionize your approach to life. God is an authority over your trials. God is in complete control over your trials. You know, when storms come into your life, there are times where Jesus calms the storm and says, peace be still. But there are other times where Jesus is in the midst of the storm, right there with you. Does he always make the storms go away? No, he doesn't. He may not take the storm away, but he can take you through the storm. Napoleon once said, not that we'd agree with everything Napoleon said, of course. (laughs) But Napoleon said, if Socrates should walk into this room, we should all rise and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ were to walk into this room, we would all bow before him. He's an authority over your problems, over your trials, over the deep, tough questions that nobody else has answers to. Jesus has those. Jesus has the answer. This last bit is the only part of this message where I'm going to the New Testament. God doesn't make mistakes. He makes appointments. God does not make mistakes. He makes appointments. And you may say, what do you mean he doesn't make mistakes? You've taken a look at my life recently? It's falling apart. It's a mess. You know my family situation? You know people back home in church who love me dearly, who are going through some of the worst times that I've ever seen? What do you mean God doesn't make mistakes? God is good, huh? Sure he is, but not to me. No, friends. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God doesn't make us comforted to be comfortable. He makes us comforted to be comforters. Romans 8, 28. A great verse to misuse by everybody, isn't it? For we know all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose, right? Verse 29, though, gives us the rest of the story. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. People don't like that, but it's true. And in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the tough questions, in the midst midst of looking up into heaven and asking God, why have you done this? As one of my professors says quite often, God doesn't do things to you. He does things for you. So what do we do? Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. You know, Brother Ogle, I noticed as I was going through this that Habakkuk is a lament. Complaint. 
asking God to do something. And then chapter 3 is this petition of trust. And verse 17 says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Let me paraphrase that for a second. Everything is going to be gone. The Chaldeans are going to come through and raise this place to the ground. They're going to pillage. They're going to plunder. They're going to commit horrible atrocities against God's people. Verse 18, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Get this, nothing changed. Nothing changed. The Chaldeans are still coming. It's still going to be violence in the streets, still going to be immorality, still going to be problems. But Habakkuk has something different to say now. His circumstances didn't change, but God changed him. So this morning, are you allowing your circumstances to color your view of God? Are you allowing your view of God to color your circumstances. It's so easy to get so caught up with everything that's going on around us that we forget to look up. It's so easy to view God through our circumstances instead of viewing our circumstances through the almighty God that we have who's sitting on his throne, who's there for us. Are you going to keep trusting God even when the world looks at it and says you're crazy. It doesn't make any sense. You going to believe what this book says? There have been a lot of people who sat where you sit who don't anymore. When God gives you a test on theology, are you going to say, Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense and it's not fair. Are you going to say, Lord... This doesn't make sense, but I trust you anyway. The choice is yours.